This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 8th of February, 2024. I'm your host, Paul Hazard. On tonight's show, I'll be talking to head teacher and author of the A to Z of Secondary Leadership, Andy Hunter. Let's get to it. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, good evening and welcome to tonight's show. We have a great show lined up for you. Tonight, we're going to talk about a brand new book, The A to Z of Secondary Leadership, an absolutely essential read for anyone who's already in leadership or ever hopes to be in leadership. And we're privileged tonight because we've got the author, Andy Hunter. Andy, I see you're in the studio. How are you? Hi, Paul. I'm good, thank you. How are you? That's great. Oh, yeah, doing great here. Apart from the weather, we had those snow showers going over and it's it's really cold. But apart from that, we're doing well. Andy, you're a uh, you're a really busy guy. You are a head teacher. Yeah, you have a super range of interests. Uh, you like canoeing, hill walking, jazz, and you've yeah. got time to write a book. <laughs> do you yeah. have a magic wand up your sleeve or something <laughs> <coughs> well well Paul I mean I'm, I'm very lucky in that I can write I, I can write very quickly so so actually the, the the trickiest bit about writing the book was um, working out how to make my ideas fit into the A to Z format yeah uh, and you know which thing was going to go with which letter uh, mm-hmm. But it was a, it was it was something that I I made time to do because it was important to me at the time to to write the book. You know, things were for, for one reason or another things have been a little bit tricky at, at work, and it was really good for me to to spend some time really thinking through uh, and reconnecting with the the reasons that I do what I do, uh, and reminding myself, yeah, why why I enjoy it so much. I think you know, Andy, that sounds really great, and and. That really comes across in the book, and we'll get into the, the nitty-gritty of it, but um, that writing style that you have, it's it's almost conversational. As I read the chapters, I could almost hear you saying them to me. Um, so it's very accessible and a very appealing style. And you yeah. find that easy enough, you say? Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, I, I enjoy writing. I enjoy writing, you know, parents' newsletters. I enjoy writing, you know, notes notes to staff and and and, and bulletins and things. Now you do um, know and, you do know you're making an awful lot of people jealous now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I guess as well, Paul, that a lot of what's in the, the book comes from conversations that I've had with people. So, 
you know, it is genuinely conversational in in you know in the in the, the truest sense because all those yeah. ideas are ideas that I've talked through in the first yeah. instance. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, it's very clear, very accessible. Um, in in you know getting to to what you're saying, but it's also a very clear and accessible book in the way it's it's set out. You know, the the alphabetical order leaves it very easy to kind of dive in. It's not a book you have to kind of start at the beginning and go right through. Um, I think that's a big advantage to people who want to maybe focus on an aspect, um, you know, of, of leadership. Um, well, and I th yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's a book you certainly don't have to start at the beginning and finish at the end. Uh, but it was a real challenge writing it because, you know, I can't, so I started off with, the first thing I did was just to write uh, an A to Z and put in chapter titles where I thought they might go. Yeah. And, and what I found as I was going on was that, that I was changing the names of chapters because I suddenly had a, had a gap somewhere I couldn't fill. So right. something that started off being called well-being was, was renamed because I needed to make a space somewhere else. Yes. In order to fit in, you know, a, a different W. I forget what W was now. Wondering, yeah. So there was yeah. a lot of kind of you know shuffling around, uh, and and the day that I I was driving to work and I came up with the idea for the chapter called Zebras, uh, and I really felt like I'd kind of unpicked the <laughs> unpicked the lock at that point because I had a Z, and that's not easy to come by. It's not. No, <laughs> no, it's not indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing, Andy, that um, I realized is, you know, I, I was very able to empathize with you as I'm, I'm reading. Um, and I also read in your introduction, a, a quirky thing you and I have in common is that we like, we actually like taking assemblies. Mm. I love taking assemblies. I, I thought they were great. I, I would, yeah, just love getting up there. What did you like about them or what do you like about them? Um, uh, I like the I like the challenge of uh, of delivering an assembly which is going to provoke some thought and to stand out maybe from other assemblies that people hear and is going to to land in such a way as it might might resonate maybe not the day you deliver it but maybe in the weeks to come and the days after that. Uh, I, I find it really interesting. The you know, it's, it's a very pure form of communication, isn't it? To, yeah. To yeah. to slim down what you're saying to just those few minutes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very powerful. One of the things I used to always like was, you get up and you you take your assembly and you kind of think, okay, I did that. I put a lot of effort into that. It's done. There's two hundred two hundred children. They go off about their business and. You know, maybe a week or a fortnight later, you know, a sixth former says to you, here, sir, what was all that assembly about? You know, you were talking about that caged bird thing. What was that all about? And you kind of think, yeah, that was a meeting of minds. I got through <laughs> to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I did one recently when I was talking about, um, I was talking about an incident from my childhood from when I was kind of six or seven when, I, you know, I, I made a mistake and I felt pretty bad about it. Um, mm. And I made the point that I'm now I'm now 50, and I can remember, I, I, I remember that day in, in extreme detail. 
You know, I, I, yeah. we were in a park and I remember the wasps buzzing in and out the bin. I remember the colour of the green paint that was peeling on the bench where we were stood. Um, yeah. And it was a very innocuous thing. I, I, I went off to buy an ice cream and I was supposed to get one for my brother and I didn't. Uh, and, and I got told off for it. Um, and no one else in my family remembers that event. No one else at all. Uh, but I remember it absolutely acutely. Uh, and now a thousand kids <laughs> in Suffolk <laughs> know about it as well. And a kid yeah. came up to me a few days after I'd done the assembly and he said, yeah, I enjoyed your assembly. He said, it just, it just landed a bit different. And I thought, yeah, that's, a, that's exactly what I was looking for. Something that would just, you know, I think you have to give a little bit of yourself, don't you? Give a little bit of yourself and that, that, that hooks in your listener. Uh, oh, I think it really does, yeah. And, and I think your book really does that. You know, one of the things I, I like about it in particular is that your book gives those real life examples. You've got role plays and situations and it just makes it a real authentic read rather than something that's, that's dry. Yeah, I find that very appealing. Well, and some of those things, you know, happened while I was writing the book. <laughs> so, so as I was as I was dealing with something, I was also thinking, "Oh, fantastic! I can get a, I get at least half a chapter out of this." Uh, yeah. So I'd go home at the end of the day and quickly make a few notes about, you know, what kind of what, what do I think about what's just happened? What, what what's that? What, what's that made me consider differently? Uh, yeah. Which is like, yeah, it's a great way to live your your working life because it brings a real, it brings a sense of enjoyment into what might otherwise just be difficulty. Gosh, it really does, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Andy, I'd like to pick out, uh, you know, two or three chapters and, and maybe just go into them in a, a little bit more detail. Sure. So, sure. you know, as I, as I read your book, you know, one of the chapters that appealed to me a lot was you, you have a chapter on listening. And I always valued and prized listening, you know, when I was in school and, and leading groups and teams and the whole school. Why, why do you think listening is important in leadership? Well, well, yeah, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? That's cut, cutting straight to the heart of things. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know about you, Paul, I've sat in so many conversations where where, where people know what they think uh, and, and when it's their turn to speak, they say what they think. And when it's their turn to speak again, they say what they think again. And there's, yeah. no, you know, there's no sense of um, kind of interplay or development. There's none of that kind of dialectic of, well, you know, so I think A and you think B. So between us, maybe we think C. You know, there's none of that that development, and so too often people aren't listening at all. And, yeah. and I, you know, one of the points I make is, is: Are you, when you're not talking, are you actually listening, or are you thinking about what it is you're going to say next? Because mm -hmm. if you are, then whatever you're going to say next probably doesn't really address what's being said to you. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was always. <laughs> I had a mentor who told me that, you know, you really have to listen to everybody because one and one can be five. Yeah. And it's that point that you make, you know, if you're not listening and you're trying to formulate your next answer or contribution or whatever it is, it, it doesn't move on. And, and there's very little creativity. And if everybody in the group or the leadership team is doing that, 
it can become very monotonous, very banal. Yeah, and, and you miss and you miss some really golden insights, don't you, as well? Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I'm um, one thing that I'm quite quite passionate about is the idea that just because you know the majority of people in teaching aren't senior leaders doesn't mean that they couldn't be senior leaders. It means that they've chosen not to be. So it doesn't make them any less insightful or intelligent or well informed than yeah. the people who have chosen to be senior leaders. Uh, and I think senior leaders who who approach their communications with a sense of hierarchy are in terrible danger of of, of missing out on a lot of wisdom that's that's in those classrooms and corridors. And if you can just tap into that, then you know the the kind of the three sixty insights into your school it gives you are are really valuable, super valuable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's really a way of learning. Ooh. And when you listen to people, you're you're kind of closed yeah. off, and it's it's very difficult for you as an individual and to learn. And then it's very hard to stand up. I always think as a leader. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and I'm wrong a lot of the time. Uh, mm. So it's a good job there's other people around who think different things. <laughs> um, very true. I, I'm very often wrong. And and you know, it doesn't worry me being wrong. I think that's fine. I'm I'm happy to start saying, okay, here's my here's my opening gambit. It's probably wrong. Yeah. Let's, let's go from there. Yeah. Um, you know, otherwise, why why have a whole team? Mm. Yeah. And I think we'll look at that and we will look at another chapter. Um, one of the things I notice um, when you write about listening, you've chosen what I would call um, the TA or the transactional analysis mod model yeah. to kind of, you know, underpin your, um, your approach to listening. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, there are there are hundreds of models about uh, you know human interactions, but what I love about transaction analysis, <coughs> excuse me, is that it has this idea that we inhabit a mind state of either a parent or an adult and a child, and that maps so neatly onto a school context that I, I just think it's it's worth it's worth really looking into. Um, and, and and the basic idea, Paul, is that we. You know, in, in any conversation, any interaction with anybody else, we, we either are in the persona of a child where we don't want to accept any responsibility and we think, you know, things are generally unfair and it's not our fault, or we're an adult where we're looking to blame somebody else for whatever has happened and be disapproving and find fault with people, um, or, or we're an adult and we're looking to find solutions and we're coming to, to the question, for a position of curiosity rather than a position of, of judgment. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's just absolutely transformational because we all do it. We, we all do it all the time. Uh, and, you know, doubly so when we're tired, we, we might start off a conversation as an adult and just find ourselves drifting into a parent mode uh, and we can do it with kids or with other staff. And, and as soon as we end up snapping or saying, well, you know, you would think that, wouldn't you? We've lost our, We've lost our, you know, emotional equilibrium, and we're no longer the solution-focused adult. We're, we're into casting blame and uh, and and getting into an emotional ding dong that's not going to do anybody any favors. Mm -hmm. um, it, and it's 
I think I think the, the biggest application of it for school leaders are those emails that come in from parents which are really accusatory mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. angry and aggressive. Uh, and, and aggression immediately prompts us to feel uh, defensive and we want to kind of engage with it and say, no, that's not true. That's absolutely unfair. That's not what happened. That's not what we said. Your child. Uh, and, you know, and in doing that, Paul, we, we just completely missed the point. Because any parent that writes to any school in anger is doing it. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced is doing it because they love their child and they're worried and they don't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we respond to that, instead of the, you know, you people, you make all these promises, you don't keep any of that, school's useless, I can't believe it. If we respond to all those, those criticisms, we just miss the, the, the tender core of that parent who loves their child and wants us to do better for their child. And if we can engage with that person, mm-hmm. then not only can we solve their problems, but we also, you know, we make a friend, we make an advocate uh, mm-hmm. out, of, out of someone who's at the minute predisposed to be an enemy. So there's a real opportunity there. I think you're absolutely right. Yes, yeah, it does take a lot of the, you know, the steam or the aggression or the sting uh, out of things. Yeah, and um, kind of gets parents around to seeing that you are as committed to their child as they are and that you're trying to help. And maybe in the short term, they don't always agree with your methods, but, you know, they can come around to see it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think something else we don't always appreciate is that, you know, not all of our parents had a really enjoyable time uh, at secondary school. Mm-hmm. I think I think you know lots of people have fond memories of their primary school. Not everyone has fond memories of their secondary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a lot of people to, you know, to email a head teacher with a complaint is quite an intimidating thing to do. So you know, we shouldn't be surprised if people have to get up a real head of kind of indignation in order to give them the confidence to to do what they're doing because they've probably been they've probably been writing that email in their head for three or four days before they eventually write it out on the computer good point yeah Mm -hmm. very good yeah i always found andy it was using the the transactional analysis or the parent adult child um model was very useful in classrooms as well Mm. and you know, you, you could, um, th- there is a way through transactional analysis to bring a kind of framework of discipline to classes and groups. You know, if as a teacher, you step out of teacher and out of parent mode, um, and particularly if you're in angry parent mode, and you begin to relate to your class as an adult and expect them to relate back to you as an adult, I think there's a whole dynamic shift happens in the room. Would you yeah. have experienced that too? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, and I think I think you're right. It's <coughs> excuse me. And the thing with that with with that parent mode is that it rewards and punishes mm. in, in an emotional way, doesn't it? Mm. So when you're being that parent teacher. If a kid does something well, you say, oh, well done, you're, 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 very, you're very good, I'm very proud of you, lovely stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're probably not even responding to the work in any kind of meaningful way. You're just saying, oh, basically, I like you as a person. Mm-hmm. And when they get something wrong, uh, that same character is, is responding by saying, well, I don't like you as a person. You're a bad child. You've done a bad thing. Your behavior yes. is bad. 
And that's all. You know, there's there's no good from either side of that equation. Uh, whereas to to just be an adult and say, well, you know, okay, here's 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 where we are. Here's what we've got. What what should we do with it next? Uh, puts a lot of responsibility on the child. Um, but but I think it's responsibility that they they respond to very very well, as you say. Uh, yeah, I think so. I always find that yeah, when you treat them as an adult, it's kind of like a, in my sense, it's a space they walk into and you have different conversations with them and you can talk to them about controversial, contentious, difficult issues, things they did in a, a much less accusatory way, m- much as you're saying, you know, you're not the angry parent Um you know, there, there aren't the the negative strokes, if you like. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're much more forthcoming. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think I think the key thing, though, is, is to avoid saying, I am treating you like an adult, or if you want me to treat you like an adult, because that mm-hmm. in itself has a kind of parentish sense it to it, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. When you grow up, I'll treat you as grown up. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> disapproving in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, listening and listening to everyone is crucial for everybody in a school, but particularly so for the leader, because I always thought, you know, again, it was a mentor who, who, who told me this, you know, Paul, you listen to everybody. But in the end, you have to be your own man and you have to make your own decisions and you have to stick with them. So, you know, we do have to make leaderships about judgment. It's about drawing conclusions. It's about implementing a vision and and so on. that Not everybody will agree with or or like. Um, And sometimes when I listen to people, and I made the decision based on a lot of evidence. They would come up to me afterwards and say, but Paul, I talked to you about that for hours. Why did you not do what I told you? How, how do you deal with people like that then who, you know, you've listened to them, you've heard in depth what they have to say, but the decision kind of went against them, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, it kind of puts me in mind of that um, that Muhammad Ali quote about how the fight is won long before you step into the ring. You know, the fight's won in the in in the training room and on the heavy bag and with the skipping rope. And I think you know, those big decisions that we take are they, they stand and fall on the work that we do before we take the decision. Mm. Um, which is kind of what you're saying, isn't it? You know, those people. We of course we need to listen to everyone, and and and, and it's not a you know, for me, that's not a publicity exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, I generally want to gather that information and use it to kind of find a way through. And I suppose then in communicating the decision, <coughs> it's probably helpful, just exactly as we do with kids, to lay out our thought process mm-hmm. and say, well, here's, here's where I started. Here's the problem. Here are the potential solutions. Um, and here's my thought process as I decided which one of those solutions to to eventually go to for the best and here's why i chose it and thanks to everyone who who helped me on the way yeah yeah i mean you you can't please everyone all the time can you Uh, 
Well, well, I think that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then I always thought, and I wonder what your thoughts on this, you know, that, that always kind of pushed me back into, you know, the limits of my courage, if you like. Where is my courage to stand up and maybe, because sometimes, you know, you went against the majority on a decision. Ooh. And yet your decision, you know, might have been right. And, you know, those are tough places to be for a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, does does I mean, that listening and that decision-making process, is it underpinned by a courage? Yeah, so I think it is really underpinned by courage, uh, but it's also underpinned uh, in those kind of mindsets that we talked about. So it makes me think of a time when we, we had to, to change teachers' contact hours because of a you know, budgetary problem and you know, people had, had, frankly, not enough non-contact time, but it was more than we could afford them to have. So mm -hmm. we had to kind of um, change that. Uh, mm -hmm. And people didn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, and I found out that, that at one point that um, that the union who who had not kind of engaged in a in a consultation exercise mm -hmm. waited until two or three minutes before the consultation exercise closed and then objected kind of mm -hmm. just before the literature. And I was really upset by it because I, I was sort of thinking, well, look, you, you, this is we know each other, we work with each other all the time. Uh, why, why are you treating me like this? And mm -hmm. I took it very very personally. Yeah, I suppose I was kind of thinking, you know, if, if if you really if you really loved and respected me, you wouldn't have done what you've just done. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took me a couple of days of of sore temper to realise that I was just behaving like a child. Uh, people were were protecting their own interests as they have an absolute right to do. Um, yeah. uh, and and for me to take that that personally was a was a real misstep. And if I hadn't have uh, have realised that. Uh, and kind of caught myself, I could have made a real mess of that because um, I would have been offended and and belligerent and that wouldn't have helped at all. Well, yeah. Gosh, that raises a few questions for me. I, I suppose the first one is, because uh, in the end of the day, Andy, and, and your book really emphasises this, in the end of the day, we are all humans and successful leadership, um, you know, really depends on us being human. But what do we do with hurt? What happens when we get hurt as leaders? Well, I think you, I, I don't know about you, but I, I forget all the time that I'm a leader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I and I need to be reminded uh, by colleagues that you know maybe not everyone tells me what they really think because I'm the boss, uh, and maybe people aren't quite honest with me because I'm the boss. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know I can I can pat myself on the back about my you know my warm informal relationships with all my colleagues, but the fact of the matter is that I'm the boss, and and, and that is going to that's going to be a filter on those communications, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Uh, and we just have to, we just have to rem to remember that that we are, you know. So while I'm, while I'm at work, I am I am Andy, and I hope people, uh, you know, relate to me as Andy. But I'm also the boss, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm also the implementer of, of policies and the 
you know, the person that has to find the money to make the budget balance and the person that has to remind people they haven't been on duty when they should be on duty and the person has to maintain standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those things may not always make people delighted to talk to me, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, it's about, it's, it's such a cliche, isn't it? It's about the kids. It's about making sure that what we do is the best thing we can possibly do for the kids. Yeah, yeah I think we do need to remember that, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose I also think, to, and just listening to you, rem, reminding me, um, you know, we need our time away from school as well, because, you know, we need to, to get rid of the hurt. And I know, I, I think you do sail, uh, sailing and hill walking, you're interested in jazz. and I know I do a lot of those things as well. And I always thought when I come home, you know, uh, my family would ground me very much very quickly um, <laughs> and they can do it kind of both ways you know if you've had a hard day and you've you're, you're feeling the kind of the weight and the wounds of leadership um you know they're quite good at, at, at picking me up and you know dusting me down and getting me back again if you come home and you think i've got this job i nailed it today i tell you i know what leadership is I tell you, they're not long knocking, <laughs> knocking the wind out of your sails. <laughs> Who do you think you are, Daddy? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I don't know about you, but the, the first two or three days of the summer holiday, uh, well, you know, especially if you've had a busy end to term and you've been used to kind of, you know, walking around like a kind of leadership wizard just casting decisions around you as you go let's do this let's do that let's change this let's change that has everyone done these things yeah uh, and then you get home and 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 if you accidentally carry on being your your leadership self at home for 30 seconds uh, <laughs> they'll soon they'll soon uh, remind you that that's yeah. not your role in the family you will you will be in some trouble you will indeed yeah um, Andy, it's a fascinating chapter um, on listening, and of course, so much more to it uh, in the in the reading of the chapter. And it's just a, just a wealth of uh, stories and anecdotes, uh, wisdom and advice, just like you've been been telling us now. But maybe we could move on to another chapter, and this was a chapter that caught my eye because of the title. Uh, and it's a chapter called Questing. And, you know, I thought a little bit beforehand, Questing, what, what is he on about? And, and it's Questing, not Questioning, in case anybody hasn't heard me properly there. Um, but it's a fascinating chapter. Um, and you kind of built that on the framework of uh, Props 1928 uh, theory. If anybody doesn't know, it's about narrative theory and it's about storyline and plotting and how stories and and so on are are put together. And when I read it, I thought, wow, wow, what what a lovely framework to kind of hang that chapter on. So how did you come up with that? Well, so interestingly, it was originally questioning. uh, and (laughs) And then I came up with questioning and questioning had to become wondering which meant that well-being had to become something. There was a big shuffle of the chapters to try, like and, a game of chess. <laughs> to try and make that work. Um, 
and it was it, says, it was about two things that were on my mind uh, and originally they were going to be kind of two chapters and one was about uh, the, the, the idea that once you've started something you've got to see it through uh, and, and I'd been working with a few young young leaders at, at, at the time who were, who were doing a fantastic job of planning their change and they understood lots of models of change uh, and, and they did a lot of research and they could put together a fantastic presentation for governors on change uh, and essentially, Paul, do all the bits that don't require you to actually go out into the school and make anyone do anything different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the point when they did have to go out into the school and make someone do something different, yeah, nothing happened. It, it was like, well, I've, you know, I've told people. I, I told people what to do. I showed them what to do. I asked them to read this paper. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't, isn't that it? And of course, that's not it at all. That's, mm-hmm. that's maybe the first 10% you've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest of the work is the actually making it happen. So that was one idea I had in my head. Mm-hmm. And there was another separate kind of chapter about, about basically minding your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sticking to your job and not sticking your in with other people's job. And yes, then that, I remember reading that, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that sort of became... Uh, as, as, I, as I was writing that, I reflected on, well, you know, why would you do that? Um, and that was why the idea of the kind of, you know, the side quest from the computer game came mm-hmm. to me. Because those are just those, you know, I don't know if you play computer games, Paul, that the, the side quest is like a little mm-hmm. low stakes, high fun thing that yeah. isn't part of the main game. It, yeah. uh, and I guess it's there, just like a kind of a comedic interlude in Shakespeare to hold people's interest. Yeah, uh, and it made me think. Well, if people are side questing in their roles, mm-hmm. is it because their interest isn't being held by w- the rest of what they've got? And therefore, is there a leadership task for us to help people to fulfil their roles by building in a kind of a mixture of of long term, high stakes, and short term, low stakes tasks, mm-hmm. uh, so that we have that kind of variety and, and and as i was thinking those things through I, I started writing them as two separate chapters and then they just seemed to really neatly meet in the middle uh, and when i cut and paste both the documents together it only took like a sentence or two to to make the segue uh, i was quite i was quite amazed at how how really i'd written you know one chapter and had no idea i was doing it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i have to say that was very interesting when i read it, it, it it's probably something i encouraged you know maybe year heads or heads of department to do to have um kind of tasks or or projects or whatever in in different time frames Mm. but i really only thought about it when i actually read your chapter um but i think it's very good it's also very good for you know the development of the individual as a leader to have you know different time frames on different projects uh but I think as well, as you say, you know, within their own remit, I think that's that's important, particularly in the early days of leadership, not to be kind of spreading yourself too wide. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, not to, not to come to it with a belief that you have as good, a, as good an understanding of everyone's remit as they have. Uh, and you know, just go unhelpfully sticking your oar in, yeah, everywhere, yeah, yeah. 
Well, everybody can be the armchair football manager, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really easy, isn't it, to see? It's, it's really, I think, <coughs> excuse me. Oh, it's shocking, shocking, lingering cough. I think, uh, I think people in the early stage of leadership uh, focus on spotting flaws in things mm -hmm. um, and think that if they're able to dissect everything that's wrong with a the plan, then they've done a pretty good job. Um, but, you know, obviously that's missing a real, a real core part, isn't it, of, of finding solutions, which is the, it's not, it's not good enough to just say what doesn't work. Uh, you've got to bring something more to it than that. You've got to say, well, why, why don't we try something else? Why don't we have another go in a different way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll have to be careful here, but I remember one time um, I used to work with somebody who maybe ought never to have been a leader. <laughs> <laughs> um, but got a position as a leader. And um, I remember, again, there was another mentor who said to me, but Paul, just wait, just watch. They'll get the rough edges knocked off them. And, you know, there, I, I always thought there is something for a lot of people, not everybody, but for a lot of people, there is that kind of novelty of getting promoted into a position and really getting carried away on that wave or sense of, importance or you know i got this job as a leader therefore people see me as a leader therefore i can do this that and the other um and i think yeah yeah you know it can happen to anybody i suppose but um humility uh you know helps us come to terms with that kind of what did shakespeare that over vaulting ambition maybe and that almost arrogance that people have yeah, and I, I mean, and you see that a lot, don't you? you do. uh, and I think sometimes that, that that what looks like arrogance, Paul, might just be that people lack a bit of confidence that yeah, you know, what they were doing as an assistant head is going to be okay as a deputy. What they're doing as a deputy is going to be okay as a head, and they kind of feel as if they they need to grow into some, you know, put on a new set of clothes with this new role, uh, and somehow act in a way that befits the role. And, and I think that's just yes, a you, disaster. Yeah, you, you've said it much better. That's kind of what I meant. Yes, yeah, yeah, great. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I got my first, uh, when I took up my first headship, a friend who was the head uh, was talking to me about it and he said, look, the only rule, the only rule for the first six months is don't be a, well, let's say, don't be a twit. <laughs> but but it was excellent advice excellent yeah. advice whatever you do just don't you know reel yourself in because if you arrive and you kind of you know land as if you've parachuted in and say right everyone everything's okay now i'm here it can only go one way can't it, it can yes go one way. yeah yeah um one of the early promotions i got um and i would have been fairly young at the time but the advice again from another mentor, the advice was do not speak in any meeting for the first two years. Just listen. <laughs> just watch. <laughs> um, well, there's something to it. I, I do think. I, I do think there's something to it. Yeah. Those those people that you gather throughout your career are just priceless, aren't they? Uh, I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah. And after a time, you don't even need them there. You can just say, you can just think to yourself, well, what would, you know, what would Nick do? What would, yes. what, what, what would, what would Kate do here? What would Phil do? What would Samson do? And, and, and for me, those people, uh, I've, I've got maybe, maybe a dozen people yeah. that, that I know well enough that, that I can kind of, I don't even have to ring them up. I can just guess what they would say to me if I asked them a question uh, and therefore bring another, bring another facet to my, you know, to my, to my thought process when I'm just really mulling something over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you see that, that kind of conversational tone in your book goes a long way to achieving that. Um, well, well worth, well worth a read. Um, your that that chapter on questing that we're talking about yeah there is and i suppose you know we're on it there, there is a huge emphasis on people the need for allies yeah um you have a lovely line i've written it down here a newborn initiative has to be nurtured into becoming i love that phrase i thought that was fantastic but you go on to say then, you know, a lot of it is you can have the idea and the concept and the vision yourself, but very, very quickly you need people and you need allies. Can you tell us why that's the case? Yeah, because, um, because people won't, People will, will do things to an extent because you ask them to. You know, you can get so far on, okay, I trust you. You haven't got it wrong before. It's a reasonable request. I'll do it. Mm. But they're not going to do it with passion and determination under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. If you want people to do something with passion and determination, you've got to somehow get, get them to, to feel or to own a part of your own passion and determination. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and that's why you need, and that's why those people need to be, you know, just allies, not, not followers. They, mm. They've got to kind of understand and, and almost, you know, they've got to take their part in carrying the torch for the initiative because mm -hmm. they really believe in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's like that thing about, about, um, discretionary effort, isn't it? And, uh, and statutory effort or, or, or whatever the, the other effort is, <laughs> um, you know, if, if people if people do it because they have to, they'll do it okay. But if they do it because they really, really want to, then 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 you're on a winner. You know, you're halfway home, aren't you? It does. It does make a big difference. Yeah, yeah it certainly does. Yeah. And then there is you go on to write, and I th I think this is part of narrative theory, and we can see it in films, you know, or Star Wars, or you can see it in your novels and so on. And um, you talk about the setback, you know, that you're always going to get some kind of obstacle or barrier. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, I guess the reason that, that so, so, you know, Prop developed his theory by reading loads and loads of folktales. Uh, 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 so, and those folktales come from human experience, don't they? You know, the folktale is a way of passing down generational knowledge from one generation to another. Yeah. Uh, and people that have used props theories to to write novels and films, write novels and films that we all really identify with. So, so this is something that's born out of human experience. The idea that just when you think everything's going well, suddenly, suddenly something happens, and you have to 
make a decision about whether you're going to quit or whether you're going to persevere and find your way through and, mm. and be triumphant. <coughs> and, um, and that's the, you know, the, 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 when it's going well, that's the easy bit of leadership, isn't it? When everything's yeah. going fine and everyone thinks, thinks you're a great guy because you've, you've said yes to a few people and you've yeah. been able to spread some good news and, you know, everything's going your way. It's, it's the easiest job in the world. Yeah. But more often than not, it's not like that. Um, so I think it's helpful to realise that that's, that's okay. It's not our fault that things aren't plain sailing. Uh, we, we just need to dig deep, like, like countless of other, other people have been encouraged to do by this passing on of generational knowledge. Dig yeah. deep and, and hope for the best and you'll probably do all right. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you say, perseverance, perseverance pays off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, Andy, we're going to have a short break and we come back after these messages. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A £1,000 cash incentive and a campaign to raise the profile of childcare workers in England has been launched as part of a recruitment drive. According to the BBC, thousands of extra nursery workers and childminders are needed as the government plan to expand funded hours begins. The Department for Education says that more than 100,000 working parents of two-year-olds have already registered for the April rollout. However, Early years charities say the campaign to recruit is too late. By September 2025, all eligible preschool children of working parents from the age of nine months will be able to access 30 hours of term time childcare. Research suggests that the number of childcare providers is currently falling as childminders leave the role, although the number of places remains roughly stable. Data suggests that almost 28,000 early years specialists will be needed to meet the rise in demand, an expansion of 8%. The BBC also reports that staff at Scotland's exam body will take strike action at the end of February over a pay dispute. Around 400 workers will stage two 24-hour stoppages. 
and the action will also include an overtime ban, a ban on weekend working and a ban on accruing time off in lieu. The union said the industrial action would have a major impact on the SQA's ability to prepare for exam season. But the SQA itself said it had contingency plans in place and that the strike would not have any impact at all. The Herald in Scotland also reports on calls from some quarters to raise the school starting age. A motion filed by the Glasgow Kelvin MSP calls for a national conversation on early years education and argues that a new approach could help tackle Scotland's long-standing educational attainment gap. The proposal to raise the starting age secured cross-party support in less than 24 hours. It's not the first time that the SNP have called for an increase in the starting age for pupils, but with recent concerns that the school system in Scotland is not helping to close the gap between disadvantaged pupils and their non-disadvantaged peers, the plans have appeared again. Under the plans, children would start school at six rather than four or five, and a kindergarten stage for three to six-year-olds would be introduced, increasing the amount of early years education by 12 months, replacing primary one. The kindergarten stage would focus on learning through play. Full details of the proposal can be read online in a variety of media outlets. Finally, Schools Week covers demands from the University of Cambridge to delay the new teacher training framework. The university has said it lacks confidence in the new framework and suggests a delay of at least a year. The initial teacher training and early career framework or ITT-ECF was unveiled by the Department for Education at the start of February. The ITT-ECF will combine and replace the currently separate ITT core content and the ECF from September 2025. The university called for the change to be implemented no sooner than September 2026, if at all. This would allow for further consultation, it says, and revision as the new framework was just a tweak on the current one and was a wasted opportunity. The education faculty at Cambridge also claims that the framework sets unclear and contradictory objectives for ITT providers. In the longer term, the university says a framework should be developed and led by a non-party political cross-sector expert team. The new framework has already divided opinions in the school's community and many have taken to social media to express concerns. The Department for Education have declined to comment. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. 
Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our Study Skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem-solving and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Welcome back to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 8th of February, 2024. Tonight's guest is Andy Hunter, head teacher and author of the A to Z of Secondary Leadership. And we're talking about his book. We've had a great chat so far and focused on two key chapters, one on listening and (coughs) one on questing. Andy, I wonder, could we come to what's possibly my favorite chapter? And that's the letter V. And you've gone for vulnerability. How did that title come about? Um, yes, that's a good question. So when you were saying earlier about the kind of humanity, I guess, um, uh, I didn't I didn't used to read many educational books. And maybe six years ago, I bought uh, High Challenge, Low Threat by Mary Myatt, uh, mm-hmm. where she talks about being human first, professional second. And I really liked that book, really, really liked it. And that started off a lot of thinking for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, that that idea around, around vulnerability and, and authenticity in leaders is a, is a really interesting one. Mm-hmm. Because those, you know, those people we were talking about before the break who, who put on their new set of leadership clothes to parade around the school as a leader um, are, are doing that, I guess, from a sense of, of insecurity. So they're putting on a, you know, some professional armour um, to protect themselves from, from challenge or from, from question or from maybe being undermined. Uh, yeah. and once you've got a bit more confidence as a leader, I think you come to realise that being challenged and questioned and undermined are all really valuable, helpful things. Really, you know, they're a really rich part of how you grow and how you how your understanding changes and how your decision making becomes more nuanced and more informed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes, you know, it takes some uh, it takes some guts, doesn't it, to be to be publicly vulnerable, um, and it takes some judgment to get the, the the level and the the nature of that vulnerability right. Uh, it or I think does. it can really backfire. Uh, it certainly does. Yeah, yeah. You're very much in the spotlight. Yeah. I always think, and, and, and this is a good thing in a very good way. And it comes from, you know, that sense, as you say, of being challenged, of being challenged with respect and so on, that there's very much a personal development dimension to leadership. And if you embrace that, um. You do your job very well, but you also become a much better person. Really? I think those two things always went, you know, hand in glove for me. Would that be something you would see in leadership? Yeah, absolutely. And and you're, you know, people people 
people look to to leaders to model all kinds of things, don't they? So you're, mm. not, you're not just modeling um, the policies and the practices you want people to, to undertake. You're mm. also, whether you know it or not, you're modeling a way of speaking to people, a way of relating to people and interacting with people. Mm-hmm. And if you could model a, a you know, a, a, a confident yet authentic and vulnerable persona that says, look, it's okay, it's all right to make mistakes, it's okay to be wrong. Uh, <coughs> doesn't mean we're incompetent, doesn't mean we're stupid, it just means we're human. Uh, and it's much better to admit those things. Yeah. Then then you, you, you're, you're kind of doing something to shape the organisation in that mould as well, which is extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. People always look to the leader. Um, and I remember reading, it must have been reading about an experiment or something, but it answered the question, you know, why do the outcomes of meetings change or why do meetings change when the leader is in the room, even if he or she doesn't contribute. And they had done something, you know, and they they got all this equipment, but they had connected up in some way where people looked during the meeting. And even though they may have spoken across the table, their glances were all towards the leader. Now, you know, it may have been seeking approval or it may have been, you know, wanting to impress the leader or, or whatever. But I think the conclusion was, you know, that um, people want their leaders to be themselves. They want them to be authentic. And that gives them that credibility, that clout, that power. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And that, 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 I think you're absolutely right about, uh, you know, you're always a participant observer, aren't you? Um, you know, just just the, the the nature of the leader being there changes the dynamic, um, which which can be you know which, which is a good thing if you get it right. Um, Definitely, yes. <laughs> but it does mean that you need to give some thought to it. You've got to be deliberate about how you present, um, otherwise you change things in, in all kinds of ways that that not only have you not planned to do, but you probably don't even realise you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that brings us back, doesn't it, again, to to something we said earlier, but being on automatic pilot as a leader is a very dangerous place to be. I think that's just just before a fall comes then. Andy, you you mentioned in your book that vulnerability is a separating factor. Uh, I find that really interesting, and, and I was keen to read on that. One of the things you say is that vulnerability separates leaders from dictators. Um, I've probably known leaders in, in kind of both camps there and, and, and some who kind of, you know, move between the two. But what, what do you really mean by that, that vulnerability separates leaders from dictators? Uh because I think I think when I wrote that, I was thinking that the, the aspect of vulnerability that means that you can uh, that you're open to changing your mind, mm. um, uh, and that you don't feel that because you've you know I suppose there are a couple of circumstances, aren't there? The, and I'm not sure which is worse: whether a leader who who thinks they're right and doesn't care whether they are right or not, but because they're the leader, that that means they're right. Mm. Um, or you know, possibly worse, a leader who knows they're wrong, but because they're the leader, insists they're going to do it anyway because 
as the leader, they can't say, oh, I don't think I was right. Yes. And, and both of those things are catastrophic. I think, yes, yes. I think at one point in that chapter, you talk about weakness and that's possibly describing weakness. It's kind of like, I think you mentioned it's a kind of hard shell to, yeah, yeah. You, you know, to, um, what was it? I think it was, was it to keep danger out or threat out or something? So something like that. I was, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten I wrote that when I went back and read it this week. Yeah. Uh, I was rather pleased with it. I thought that was quite a nice. That's quite a nice paragraph. Isn't it always great when that happens? <laughs> <laughs> I used to do that all the time. You'd be writing policies or whatever, and you'd have to come to review them. You know, years later or whatever, and you'd read something. You say, "Good God, who wrote that? That's bloody good." Yeah, sounds good. And you flick to the end. You see, it's me. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> let's let's hope I can do as well this time. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I think it's a, a yeah. The thing about the shell is interesting. I think you know you have to be permeable, don't you? You have to be permeable to other people's ideas and opinions, uh, and, and and if you're not, then well, yeah, I think I think you just you you you're just on a road to nowhere. Surely yeah. it can't work out. Um, and you know, I've got a, a colleague who, who tells me from time to time that. You know, not everyone out there is like we are, and not everyone else thinks this way. Um, and I'm sure that's true. Yeah. But, you know, I, I question what those people are doing at a time when, you know, even schools with really desirable, uh, you know, nice cheap housing and good road links or whatever, are struggling to recruit. Um, how can you afford to lead in such a tone-deaf, tin-eared way? Um, because surely your staff will just leave and go somewhere else. And that does happen a lot in, in certain areas and places. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the leadership has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I was trying um, to remember, um, and maybe you will, there's a U2 song and it talks about, you know, the animal, the harder the shell, the softer the and I can't remember what it is, but obviously it's the inside, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I always think there's something of that that's very true about leadership. Uh, you know, these tough, hard leaders that put on this, this front uh, and this persona. Uh, and you do talk about persona of leadership. We do need a persona, but it has to be one that kind of fits. But I do think about, you know, the, the tough, tough leaders are maybe... Um, some of the weakest in their own quiet, the, the least confident. It's maybe a better way of putting it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think that's probably true. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. I'd like to put that to some of them and see what they say. <laughs> I doubt they'd agree. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of the point, isn't it? That's exactly the point, yes. Which is yeah. kind of the point. The, the first headship role I, I, I went for, I didn't get my first uh, headship interview. Um, mm -hmm. and, and in the feedback, the... the the guy said to me that we thought, you know, clearly you, you will be a, you know, you'll be a head teacher and you'll be a good head teacher. But what this school needs is, is a bit of steel, you know, mm. it, it doesn't need your, you know, and he wasn't, he wasn't at all rude, but I could tell what he, what he meant was you're slightly, you're slightly, you know, whiffy waffy person centered mm. approach. What we need here is someone to take charge. Mm. So they appointed this guy to take charge uh, and he was only there about nine months. 
yeah and then went and then he went yeah 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 that does that that does happen yeah it does yeah i always think i suppose you know schools are full of humans and they need to be led by a human they can't be led by by you know a machine or a dictator or 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 something something like that and there's a great document it, it's um produced by uh, is it the department of education or somebody in scotland or whatever and it, it talks about um you know the principal has to be the best teacher in fact i think that's the title of it maybe or something yes the principal has to be or should be the best teacher but it does go on to talk a lot about you know the human qualities that the principal should have and how those really are strengths and of course one of them is being vulnerable it's possibly one of the best strengths they could have just being human really mm. and relating and being able to relate not being in your ivory tower mm. very interesting. yeah very very interesting yeah um i was gonna say there yeah mm -hmm. yeah you talk a little bit about um in that chapter um you have a nice metaphor you say that vulnerability is a precious stone that needs to be set and supported by other qualities and that includes competence uh, now you do mention a few other qualities but competence definitely comes first i think the others come in another mm. sentence even can you tell us a little bit about that how vulnerability and competence need to go together Yeah, I can. So uh, it, there was a particular um, gosh, what was it I was trying to launch and persuade people about? I can't even remember now what the initiative was, but I, but I, yeah. I said to some, I kind of said to some people, uh, a group of parents. You know, part of the beauty about this is that we we don't even know what it looks like. You know, this is this is an exciting thing. Uh, because we're, you know, we're committed to doing it, and we know why we're doing it, but mm. we're not really sure what the project is going to end up looking like at all. And, and so we're inviting you to join us on what's, you know, what's a, a really exciting uh, project as we kind of take this take this step into the unknown together. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was, you know, I thought it was a kind of a, a medium okay bit of uh, bit of rhetoric. And afterwards, someone said to me, yeah, what those people have just heard is that you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, and, it, I... and it made me think that, yeah, they didn't, they didn't know me well enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, so if, if, they, if they knew that we'd done things like that before together and it had been okay, then that would yeah. have been different. Yeah. But actually to stand in front of people who didn't know me and say, I don't know what this looks like. Come on, let's do it anyway yeah uh, just looked a bit reckless so yeah. so if you haven't got that if you haven't got got a, a really solid base of competence if people don't know that you're you're a safe pair of hands then saying i don't really know what the answer is just yeah. make sure not someone doesn't know what the answer is mm. okay that's that's yeah yeah that's a good point yeah um you, you do talk about you go on to say you know demonstrate that you know what you're doing 
I suppose that fits in. Yeah, I got that piece of advice once. Um, Did you? I, I think it was around about yeah. It wasn't worded very well to me. Well, let me rephrase that. It could have been worded very well to me, <laughs> but how I, I interpreted it was was really quite different. And I think for a long time, um, I think for a long time, my sense of confidence came across as um, like know-it-all almost, you know, and, mm. and, and behind it all, you didn't know too much at all, actually. Um, it was maybe not arrogance, but it was kind of like, you know, that kind of laissez-faire swagger almost kind of thing. Um, and that did, now that got me into a lot of trouble before I kind of rethought that advice, you know, demonstrate, you know, that you, you, you are competent, you can achieve, you can do things, you don't do it uh, wearing it on your sleeve, you do it in much more subtle kind of, kind of ways. And that certainly worked a lot better for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. It brings me to another... Sorry, so, go ahead. Go ahead. After you. I was going to say it brings me to another uh, important concept in that chapter, I think. And that is you talk about um, the, the need um, for people. I think I have it here. Yes, I do. People need to know who their leaders are. I, I've always believed that. It's a difficult thing, but and to believe in them. So there's absolutely a need for a certain level of charisma and confidence when communicating with our communities within school and without. thought that was a superb, um, you really captured that very well. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, people knowing who our leaders are? Yeah, it, it's, and that's, uh, mm, I'm having to think a bit about that. Mm. I have to think a bit about that because that so it comes back to that kind of thing about authenticity, doesn't it? You can't you can't tell people you're someone who you're not. Mm. Um, so so you you have to be to be honest and truthful about that. Mm -hmm. But also we've got to be realistic that the people we are at work are not the people we are at home. Uh, you know, I, I had a I had a real insight recently. I was reading an article about about acting. And it said that in acting, there's a there's, a, there's this concept of of being happy and high status that gives you the confidence to behave in a certain way amongst strangers. That's interesting. Yeah, um, and I think that's something that that we do as as school leaders. You know, when I think about it, if I if I go to a party uh, of of my peers, there's no way I'm going to walk around introducing myself and shaking people by the hand and you know, chit-chatting and small talk is absolutely not me. Um, mm. But if I'm at, uh, you know, a school awards evening, I, mm. I will do all those things. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's a, I don't think that's a contradiction. I think that's because in that situation, you know, I am happy and I have high status and, and therefore I can, I, that, that, that emboldens me in a way to be a much more charismatic and extroverted person mm. th than I genuinely am in in the rest of my life yeah that's like your professional persona yeah but it's still me yeah it's still yeah. me it's not I'm, I'm not having to kind of turn it on uh -huh. uh, or, or, or pretend to be someone i'm i'm not i'm yeah. 
I guess it's just, I think I say somewhere else in the book, it's a bit like a graphic equaliser and we can turn yeah. some frequencies up and other frequencies down, but at the end, the music's still the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that, that, that's, that's a bit what we're like, isn't it? When we're, when we want people to get to know us, we choose the bits of ourselves that we share. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very good. That's excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of thinking in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, so people need to know who their leaders are. Yeah. And then is that different from, because you talk a lot about this in the same chapter as well, the need to be aware of how we are perceived. Yeah, because, and that, and that's where that choosing which, which frequencies we turn up and which frequencies we turn down um, mm-hmm. has, has to be done, you know, with, with discretion, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to think about, well, who, you know, who's our audience? What, what, what do they want from me? What do they like to get from me? Am I, mm-hmm. am I somehow presenting something that I don't realise I'm presenting? Am I giving an impression I might not want to give? I've <coughs> accidentally just stood in front of a meeting and told them I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. how do I need to? How do I need to sort of just judge and adjust what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, in order to be mm-hmm. to, to be kind of the people that people want and need me to be? How, you how, get, how do we get that feedback, Andy? How do we know? Uh, how we're being perceived well if you can if you've got those good relationships then I think you can ask people mm. yeah. but, and, and I think people will tell you someone said to me once I did, so one of my favorite things in, in the whole school year Paul is presentation evening and doing mm-hmm. the, doing the speeches for the two big cup winners where you, know, you get a chance to spend two or three minutes just really extolling the virtues of one amazing mm-hmm. student. And it's, it's a lovely job to have. Mm-hmm. Lovely job to have. Um, uh, and one year, someone, you know, a colleague said to me, um, you know, I, I love it when you do those things. I could listen to you all day, honestly. Speak like that, I'll follow you anywhere. Mm-hmm. But you never smile. And I thought, well, that's interesting. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. realise, um, mm-hmm. and I, was, I suppose I was kind of almost sermonising rather than celebrating. So yes. uh, you know, so since that day, I've made a conscious effort to yeah. to smile when I'm when I'm doing those things, um, yeah. which doesn't come naturally to me. I don't know why. I, I smile a lot at other times, but mm-hmm. I just need to remember, I guess, that I can look a little bit stern without meaning to. And I'm really grateful for those bits of feedback because they, they stick with you and they're helpful. They're invaluable, aren't they? Because I, I do think I, I do think one of the hardest things is to get the experience of how you're perceived. How do you come across? That's very difficult to to kind of get on your own. I think you do need those other people to act like a mirror and yeah. tell you things like, you know, you know, Paul, you, you stood with your hands in your pockets there when you were talking to that group, you know, that looked really bad. Whatever it is, um, invaluable advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and it's a great dialogue, isn't it? You know, if people, if people feel comfortable giving, giving you as the boss that kind of feedback, mm. then that probably says you're in a pretty good place to be able to give them feedback as well. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's a good culture to be in, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is definitely. Yeah. Um, and you do say, I'm just spotting it here, I wrote it down. Yeah, you, you do. Being the best version of you is tiring. Uh, and a separate quotation, have the confidence to be you. Um, but but crucial, I think, for, for leadership. Andy, it's at this part in the show, I usually ask guests, if you had a magic wand <laughs> and only one spell that you were able to cast, what spell would you cast to make the lot of teachers better? Well, oh, there's so much, there's so much that we, that, that needs doing. Uh, and I feel at the minute, you know, I feel we're, you know, we look at mental health services and we look at family support services and we look at, you know, help for those vulnerable children and families. Uh, and it feels like we're waiting for the cavalry and the cavalry isn't coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, a, there's a, a lot that we could do to change it. But I think the thing that would make the single biggest difference in my school would be if I could afford to give every every single teacher a minimum of 20% non-contact time. Mm-hmm. If everyone has a day a week non-contact, the yeah. things we could do, mm-hmm. right, it'd, it'd be fantastic. All I need, all I need is... Half a million quid. <laughs> That's all. That's all. Let's hope it comes out of the ether somewhere. Yeah. Bound to. Yeah, yeah. Bound to. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that would be a luxury. That would be a luxury for teachers. Oh, it'd be fantastic. Yeah. And then and then when we say to people we want to do, you know, we've got an open door policy, it really means something because people have got the time to go into each other's lessons and they've got the time to do instructional coaching, they've got time to do some some research and some reading and some proper planning and preparation. I mean, who ever thought that it's a nonsense, the idea that you can plan for a fortnight's teaching in five hours. Mm. Goodness me. Yeah. Goodness me. It takes me an hour to plan a 10 minute assembly. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned one of my favorite things there. And I think, I, I think it's when I really grew into being a proper kind of felt sense of a teacher and that is when i moved to a school where team teaching was a thing Mm. and you know i taught some geography taught some history taught some english and so on side by side with experienced teachers and i'd never done that before so we planned the lesson together we co-taught the lesson we evaluated and planned again afterwards I learned so much um, in those. And I, I think now, if I remember, they were 12 week rotations, you know, so it wasn't for a full year. Um, so for 12 weeks, I was with a, a geography teacher and so on. But really, really, really enhanced uh, my understanding of teaching and my skills as teacher. That would be brilliant. It's really valuable, that stuff, isn't it? Uh, it's really valuable. And we've, you know, as it feels that we've just been in such a, a, a prolonged period of undervaluing the profession that we've we've got loads of ideas about what to do, but we've got no time and no money with to, to do any of them. Yeah, we could be so much better, couldn't we? We could be so much better. And at a time, I think, when so many additional pressures are looming up, 
you know, on the horizon and invading schools and teachers and principals and leaders and, and so on. Just when we need more resources, more time, um, less, of, less of everything is there. Listen, Andy, it's been a fantastic show. I don't want to end it on a kind of a dull, a dull <laughs> note. No, that's not. Uh, regular <laughs> listeners to the show know that it's my belief teaching is the greatest job in the world. I don't know a better job. I know better paid ones, but very few that challenge teaching for uh, it, its satisfaction and, and what you can get out of it. <laughs> Andy, it's been great. <laughs> It's been great to spend time with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. And I hope to have you as a guest again in the future. Oh, I'd love that. It's been great. Thanks ever so much for having me. Really, really enjoyed that. Super duper. Andy, thank you and bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.